How do companies create a culture and core values that employees actually live out? The team at The Receptionist, a bootstrapped Denver-based software company, sets out to answer that very question. Welcome to The Fabric Podcast. Here's your host, Michael Ashford. Our guest on this episode of The Fabric Podcast is Joe Sanok. Joe is the founder of The Practice of the Practice, which is an organization dedicated to helping therapists and mental health practitioners start and grow their own practices. He's also the author of the book, Thursday is the New Friday, where he advocates for more of us to find ways to get out of the construct of the typical nine to five, 40 hour work week to create space to be more creative, to launch side hustles perhaps, to rejuvenate our minds and bodies, and in the end, actually accomplish more while enjoying our lives. At a time when so many people are considering career changes and with the future of work looking more and more flexible in terms of when, where, and how we choose to do our jobs, Joe's approach is more relevant than ever for all employees and businesses, even if you're not a therapist or a behavioral health practitioner. Now, here's my conversation with Joe Sanok. In reading Thursday is the New Friday, you you kind of have this, I, I won't call it a grudge against the industrialist mindset of the nine to five and the five day work week, but let's go ahead and call it a grudge, Joe. We can call it a grudge. When did, <laughs> <laughs> when did you start thinking about this? When did when did this idea of, hey, this is this is really all a concept that we've made up in our minds? When did you start caring, I guess, about the nine the typical nine to five? Let's go to the office for five days a week from nine to five and put in our 40 hours. When did you start to care about that, Joe? Yeah. You know, I really lived that in my early career, fresh out of graduate school, you know, after I did my psychology and counseling degrees and, you know, was doing the 40, 50 hour work week. Uh, But it's interesting when you reflect back to see the breadcrumbs that led you to where you're at in your career. Because I remember when I was a high schooler and I went to my freshman orientation for college in, you know, June of my graduating year. And we sat down with these advisors and groups of, you know, 10 people or so. And they said, all right, you're going to make your, your class schedules now. And they just hand you all this paperwork and you have to pick, you know, something from group one and something from group two. And, and I said, I raised my hand. I said, do I have to take classes on Friday? And she said, no, this is college. You can do whatever you want. And so through all of my undergraduate and graduate school, I had a four day work week, except for a handful of classes that were mandatory on a Friday morning. Uh, And so most of my entire you know, academic education in undergrad and grad school was this four-day work week and doing things in a smarter way that worked with kind of my own biorhythms. And, and so then in thinking about my first job out of grad school, I negotiated a four-day work week to do 40 hours in four days. And that saved them on drive time. It saved them on all these other things. And so I would say I've never been someone that just accepts the status quo, even when I'm within the status quo, um, to say, how can I push this? How can I come in earlier and leave leave earlier or you know have more flexible working? And so then, you know, when I then create my own business, you know, it's that exact same posture towards it of, okay, what do I want to create here? And so when I think about that compared to your, your question about the grudge against the industrialists, it's in life, not just with our schedules, but with so much society, um, you know, the way we were raised has been handed to us. And very few of us say, like, does it really need to be that way? Is that the best way for me? Or is there an alternate path? I think I'm going to assume probably so many people who just heard what you said, that you negotiated your first job to a four hour work week. And they're, they're probably um, having what you that that kind of trigger that you just said like whoa 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 we can we can do that how did you do that joe how did you approach that conversation 
Yeah, honestly, it was um, talking to an uncle that said, you can negotiate you know, when you're going to a job. And I said, what? You, you can? And he said, yeah, just go in with a bunch of stuff and they'll give you some of it. And so it, I had no clue as a 25-year-old going to my first master's level job that I could even negotiate. So I went in there and I said, you know, I want to make $10,000 more than what you offered. I want you to give me a car uh, because I had to drive an hour and 15 minutes to go to the site where they wanted me to do counseling. So I want a car, I want a gas card, and I want to be paid for the time that I'm in the car going to that location. Um, and so they said, well, we can't give you the $10,000 more, but we can give you all three of the other things, which, you know, I said, said within that was also a four day work week. Um, uh, and so to say, wow, I thought I was going to have to donate my time to the company driving there. I thought I was gonna have to spend my own gas money. I was willing to say yes mm -hmm. to some of those things. Um, but it really showed me how much power an incoming employee often has, uh, especially during that time when, you know, it was, a, it was definitely on the employee side of the market as it is right now at the time of this recording. Um, so then seeing that really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, I can at least try, you know, I'm already at the point that they're offering the job. Uh, they're not going to say, no, we're not going to give you the job just because you try to negotiate a little bit. They're going to say, no, we can't do that. And then you have to decide, well, can I do it for just what that initial offering was? You, you, went through the four day work week in college and you know, you wanted to carry that over into your job and that's, you negotiated that you made reference to, you know, you needed it for your own mental health and your own workload capacity. Joe, why is that so important? Here we sit in 2022 with everything that we've gone through the last, you know, two years, two plus years as a society. Why is that so important for us to start thinking about here as we sit in August, 2022 and talking about this? Yeah, Michael, that's such a good question because I think that most of us would probably say being an adult and adulting is way harder than we ever expected. You know, there's just so many things to keep track of. And especially if you add kids to that load, I'm a single dad. I'm raising seven and 11 year old girls on my own. And it's just really, really hard. And so to think about having even just a Friday to run over to Costco and get some grocery shopping done, to get some laundry done, to um, you know spend time having coffee with friends, um, to be able to remember why I work. That I'm not just working to just you know float. That I'm working you know to contribute to the world, to hopefully you know better the world in some way, to set a great example for my daughters. Uh, that when I think back to 2019, right before the pandemic hit in 2020. Like, were we our best selves at that point? Um, is that the pinnacle of human society of being stressed out and maxed out right mm -hmm. before the pandemic? Um, and then when I kind of compare that to the challenges our generation will hit in the next 10 to 20 years, future pandemics, global warming, um, you know, racial inequality, I mean, you name it. Uh, do we need a stressed out generation to address those problems or do we need to have one that is well rested and then ready to just kill it? You know, slowing down isn't about just slowing down and sitting on the beach. It's about slowing down to optimize our brain in ways that the research supports so that when we do work, we're doing the best work that we possibly could do and at a pace that outpaces people that maybe are just working five or six days a week. So you're an entrepreneur now. You've you've started your own businesses and really have gone down that path and sort of away from counseling in the private practice world of that. I'm curious, you know a little bit about our our model of employee supremacy here at the receptionist and and doing things for the benefit of the employees first rather than the shareholders. From your perspective as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, Joe, Put the mind of the business owner or the CEO at ease that a four-day work week is a good thing, that, that it drives business results. Is, is that what you're, you're seeing? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, one thing that we see is that within Practice the Practice, my company, uh, we want innovation to lead. And so we have a saying that says proceed until apprehended. Uh, and so I want people to keep moving forward until there's a reason to rein them in um, so that they know that they can take risks. They, I, they know they can have innovation. Now, if we step back and say, how does the brain create new ideas? Um, how does innovation occur? How, how does the best, most useful way that we use our time come to the surface? Well, we know that if we limit the amount of time that we put into something, we will put time into the best things possible. And so just take, you know, if you have, you know, 20 things you need to do this week, Michael, and I say you need to do that in three and a half days, are you going to work on the best, you know, 10 of those or the worst 10? Like you're going to work on the best 10, the things that are going to drive podcasts, that are going to drive sales, that are going to, you know, all the parts of your job role, you're going to have that be at the top, you know, of, of what you do. Now, that's going to force you to drop the ball in some other areas. So even recently, um, we switched our membership community away from Facebook into a different uh, community uh, management system. We had a number of things hit the fan in that. And one key individual, she really screwed up and she owned that screw up. And as we just talked, actually, right before this, we had a conversation about that screw up. We realized that she loves design, she loves video, she hates logistics, she hates technology, mm -hmm. she hates workflow and operations. We have a new COO that now is taking those things off of her plate. So she's going to be a better employee because she screwed up, because she dropped the ball in all these areas. And so oftentimes owners think, well, no one can do it as well as I can. No, you know, why should I outsource things? Well, Sure, right now, but let's think about your highest calling for the business. You know, can you put in your best effort? Can your top-level staff, your C-suite, can your mid-managers focus on the things that matter, or are they micromanaging? And so at every level, people start putting their best work into the best things when they limit the amount of time that they're putting into it. Joe, that's interesting how you handled that. I, I want to go there. Um, the... <laughs> I'll say the the skeptic or the cynical mindset would would hear that story and say, you had an employee that screwed up and then said, I'm not fit for the role that you're trying to, to make me do or that you had me do. A lot of folks would say, well, then you're not right for the business. And, and we, we, we have the traction model here in place at the receptionist where it's right person, right seat. Explain to me your mindset in saying, okay, not the right seat for you. Let's find something else for you. That, that's, a, that's the employee supremacy model at work, Joe. What what took you there? How'd you get there? Yeah, I want to first look at the historical and then look at the practical. So the historical is in 1926, Henry Ford gave us the 40-hour work week. Huge shift at the time. At the time, people were working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So that's an evolution in business. That's an evolution for humans. So that was needed at the time. But now we're looking at two or three generations later. This is a new concept for humanity to have a 40-hour work week. And so to then say, what did the industrialists believe? They believed in assembly lines. They believed in automation. They believed that people were like machines. You plug them in. They have a job role. You know, they sit in this box. Uh, it's very prescriptive. Whereas the new way of thinking is more like a menu of saying, well, what could we do with this business? What, what are we going to test and what are we going to iterate and what are we going to change? Our audience is going to grow. Our customers are going to grow and change. How do we grow and change with them instead of saying, no, we're going to keep making the Model T? So if we just say 
we don't believe in the industrialist way of thinking anymore. I, I would guess that you don't look at your employees and say, you know what? They're like machines that are replaceable. I don't care about their families. I don't care about their emotions. Just do your freaking job. Like, no, mm. you probably think about people differently than that. So mm. then let's say, how do I practically enact this post-industrialist way of thinking? You know, there's three questions that at least annually, if not more frequently, are embedded in our culture. The first is, what do you love about your current job role? And so this individual that, that screwed up, she would say, I love doing the art. I love doing the video. I love being creative. I love thinking about all the things we could do to get our name out there, the marketing. What do you hate about your job role? You know, honestly, I hate the processes, the logistics, the tech side, the minutia that I just don't want to get sucked into. And then the third question, which I would actually argue is the, the kind of strongest question, and that's where are you headed? What trainings do you need? What do you want to learn? Where do you wish you were at? So this individual, she started just doing visual design for me on social media. So taking, you know, famous people's quotes, putting our branding on it, making it look pretty, putting these quote cards out there. Then over time, she started doing more visual design. Eventually, she left her full-time job to come work with me full-time. She then said she wanted to do video editing. So she did some training in that. She wanted to oversee our membership community. So over time, she's developed the exact role that she wants to be in. And part of that is her shedding a lot of the things she was once in charge of. She once was in charge of our show notes for our podcast, for example. Uh, mm. She had to then hire and train somebody to take that over. So she has a vested interest in getting a person competent enough to take it off her plate. Instead of me being the one, like, I don't know, I do this because Joe says to do it. She says, here's why we have this process. Uh, it's because of this. We found that the SEO works better. We found that, you know, if we have robust show notes and transcriptions, we rank higher. So that's why we coordinate, you know, with someone that transcribes. So I'm going to hand this off. If you need help, let me know. But I really want it to stay off my plate. So I'm going to train you really well. So then when you do this over time, your staff are able to step into the roles, not that you think that are best for them, but that they genuinely say, I want to learn this. I'm excited about this. And it fits with where the company is headed. What do you think that does for employee loyalty, satisfaction, just all those things that employers care about so much today with people resigning? You know, the Great Recession is kind of the cliche. What do you think that does for those folks? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Great Recession really is a great recalibration. Uh, that a lot of these people were dissatisfied anyway, and, and that it was bound to come in one form or another. So when I look at our company, the only reason people tend to leave is for life events. You know, they have a baby, they want to stay home. Uh, they you know, end up going to college because they realize, you know, I don't like being a copywriter anymore. I want to, you know, become a big marketer and, you know, go somewhere to else. Most of our employees have been with us, you know, five to seven years. Uh, they, they keep upgrading within the company. And so from just a retention standpoint alone, I'd say that this mindset has kept people around where they could grow. They saw a future. They saw that they influenced where the company is headed. Um, so I'd say that. I would say that um, they realize that feedback is a part of our conversation. So they feel empowered. So feedback, not just me telling them what they did wrong or what they could improve on or where we had a miscalibration, but back towards me, Joe, you you didn't articulate that well enough. I didn't. I did the best I could with what you gave me, but you didn't give me clear instructions. Okay, so now I'm growing as a leader in that feedback loop. And then lastly, um, just to be able to have fun at work. You know, I think most people, you know, they want to enjoy their work. They want to feel like it's meaningful. They want to feel that it's impacting the world, that they're in a company culture that allows them to grow, expand as a human, not just as an employee, um, and that they're able to see their fullest potential. I mean, looking at this individual that's upgraded within the company, she was just, you know, kind of doing visual design stuff for a magazine, kind of bottom end of the totem pole. 
she's now our, our chief marketing officer. And so mm-hmm. she's been able to grow in a way that expands and says, yeah, you screwed up in this. That doesn't mean you're getting fired. It doesn't mean we have to have some big feedback session, but she owned it. She moved on from it. And now we're going to be better and recalibrate how people think within the company and those specific job roles. I love that, Joe. That's that's just uh, that's employee supremacy at its at its finest. You mentioned fun, which is one of our core values that spell out the word fabric. You mentioned, you know, that that single parent life that you're living where you, that Costco run on Friday to be able to do that and not worry about the, the other things of work interceding on that. What else what else do you find is is afforded to folks who can find a way to condense. It's the Parkinson principle, right? We fill our time to meet the time that we have, right? Am I, am I getting that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So Parkinson's law has two parts to it. The first is that work expands to the time that's given. Uh, that's the one that most people know. You know, if you realize you have a paper due in college and it's the night before you write that paper and you're done at 4 a.m., but you got the paper done, you don't overthink it. If you have two <laughs> weeks, you take two weeks. But the other side that I think is as important to Parkinson's law is the natural bloating of an organization. He found that when some process is put into an organization, it's near impossible to pull that process back out. Um, And so he saw that with the British Navy. He saw this with a number of different companies that he evaluated. And so when we reduce the amount of time that we put into something, there's that natural shedding, that natural, why am I doing this? You know, yes, I said I would, you know, say directly connect with my podcast sponsors. Like, why am I the one that's doing this? Why can't I have a team member, you know, do that facilitation and probably do it better than I would do? Um, and so there's that natural shedding in Parkinson's law if you can push back on. So so to your question about what does that look like, I, I'd say one principle that's really helpful, whether you're still working a five-day week, four-day week, whatever, is to look at your weekends not as being in reaction to the week before. So I had a terrible week this weekend. Now I'm going to just like you know, sit on the couch, watch a movie, drink too much, eat too much because I'm so tired. But instead to say, I'm going to look at this weekend in preparation, not reaction, preparation for the coming week. Because when our brains really slow down, that's when we have our best ideas, our most creativity. Uh, You think about the ideas you have when you're, you know, maybe you start meditating and, you know, a minute in, you get a flood of all the stuff you need to do, or you're taking a shower, you're going for a walk. All those things trigger that part of our brain that pulls us into flow state. And so if we think when we go into a weekend, what's one thing we can add to this weekend that's going to make it even better that we can test out? So it might be, hey, I'm going to take my daughter putt-putt golfing this weekend and just see if that's more fun than what the typical two hours would be on a Saturday. Uh, Maybe it's going to be, I'm going to add in some coffee with a friend that I haven't connected with in a while. And then what's one thing I can remove from this weekend? Maybe you do have a coffee date scheduled with someone, but they're a toxic friend and you always leave feeling like trash. Maybe you need to say, I'm too old for toxic friends and you you cancel that. Or maybe you say, I don't really want to go grocery shopping. I'm going to Instacart this and I'm going to give myself permission this weekend to spend a little bit more on groceries to just have time with my family. So if we do this add one, remove one and view it as a test, as an experiment, which is very different than how the industrialists think, where it's that black and white thinking that here's the prescription, but we say it's an experiment, then we can say, okay, here's the three to five things I know from these tests, just give me more life on the weekend. Like like for me, every time I go for a hike, I'm like, why don't I go into nature more? Like every time. But it, it's such a chore to get the girls into the, the car and then we go and then 
20 minutes in, it's like, why don't I do this more? And, and so remembering that getting in nature for me really triggers something in me. For you, it might be playing Scrabble with your kids. You know, it might be, you know, you might enjoy mowing the lawn. For me, I might say, I'm going to outsource that to the neighbor kid. Um, so finding your own unique plus one, minus one over time then allows that weekend to be in preparation for the coming week. Joe, I know with the work that you do with your company, Practice of the Practice, you are, uh, you're, you're working with behavioral health therapists, uh, folks who want to open their own private practice, folks that often are working on billable time or billable hours. They're, they're working with clients to, and billing them for the time spent. Uh, another example, obviously, is, is lawyers or financial planners. Uh, for the folks who are in that space, how do you, I won't use the word convince, how do you <laughs> negotiate this mindset with them in such a way that they don't feel like they're missing out on their financial um, stability and, and the trade-off that, that they may, might perceive in their minds with everything that you've talked about on the health and well-being side? Yeah. So the individual clinician who has a solo practice that's primarily insurance-based where they don't have any say over how much they charge um, and doesn't want a group practice, doesn't want to expand, they've given themselves a job. To me, they're the same as someone that works a 40-hour work week where the 40-hour work week person, they get paid if they show up, they don't get paid if they don't show up. Uh, and so that's a very tough spot for people to stay if they want to live a healthier lifestyle. So there's a lot of options for people now that are in that solo practice, insurance-based practice uh, approach. So for one is adding some cash pay people where you have some control over how much you charge. Um, so maybe you're charging more than what you would get from insurance and you're getting off of the really tough insurances. Um, you could have a small or large group practice. So you add in some clinicians, one or two, that you know, can take the overflow clients where you're making a little bit more you know, off of other people's time. Uh, you could have a large group practice where you have, you know, five or 10 people. Uh, you could then add in other services that go beyond counseling. And so one thing I like to, I, I'm sure I stole this from someone, but it's called the sandwich approach. And so the middle of the sandwich is your core offering. So it would be counseling. But then one side the, of the bread is what happens to people that aren't ready for counseling? Like, Do you have a product or service that you could make money off of and serve people before they're ready for counseling? So it could be, an e-course that's like 10 date discussions every couple needs to have. Okay, they're not ready for therapy, mm -hmm. but you know, you sell this for $99 and maybe you sell 10 a month. Wow, there's an extra thousand bucks a month. Um, and then mm -hmm. also on the other side of the sandwich, uh, what is it that after people are done with counseling that people need? So it may be that maybe you have a, a monthly group that's for couples. If you're doing couples work that, you know, couples come in once a month and, you know, as a group, um, you give them ideas, you give them a handout, a PDF, you know, some sort of teaching. Uh, maybe you start some sort of membership community uh, that goes beyond your state lines where it's not counseling, but you know, you're helping whether in this example, couples in some way um, where they pay 99 bucks a month and you do a, a weekly webinar, but you've got you know, 10 or 20 different couples that are in this to build some scalable income. And, and so that's where, as, as especially clinicians start to enter into the podcasting, the Instagram world, the influencer world, the you know, online marketing world, it's really exciting because there's so many self-proclaimed coaches, experts out there that 
they have life experience, but they do not have the academic experience. Uh, the world really is craving real legitimate experts right now. And we know that 8% of the nation has a master's degree. So really small percent. And how many of those are actually counseling, psychology, therapy degrees? You are the expert in almost any room that you walk into. And so really empowering mm -hmm. people to see there's so many ways that you can make money that aligns with your value set and your expertise that goes beyond just that one-on-one -on -one hourly work. Own that expertise that you have. I love that. I love that, Joe. Well, the book is uh, Thursday's the new Friday. I've got it here for the folks watching this, but uh, certainly you can pick it up on Amazon or wherever you get books. Joe, this is the Fabric podcast and Fabric spells out fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative. Those are our core values here at The Receptionist. You mentioned fun earlier, so you might have already said it, but I do like to ask our guests, which one of those resonates with you? Which one of those is your favorite of fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative? Which one kind of guides you or speaks to you? I mean, fun and innovative are the two that really um, I'm drawn to. To me, disrupting the way that people think about how they have to do their work, whether that's in the counseling world or, you know, Fortune 500 companies, uh, to me, that's just where I get so excited because I see on the other side when people have this linear path and then they realize, whoa, there's a million other options here that we can then create things that are better for the world. We then can have businesses that align with our value sets. We then can feel just better about ourselves uh, and to do it in a playful way that allows us to impact more people. I mean, that innovative side is, is just, uh, that, that's what gets me going. Love that. Love that. Joe, thank you so much for your time. I loved the book and, and getting the chance to read it and connecting with you. And um, I, I appreciate it. Where can people go to learn more about the work that you do? Yeah. So if someone's a clinician, I would say practiceofthepractice.com or our uh, podcast is Practice of the Practice. Uh, if someone is looking for more information around Thursday is the new Friday, and we actually have a free assessment that we've put together that's usually $59 for your audience. And we're waiving those fees. If people just go over to internaltest.com, we didn't cover the internal inclinations today, but it's really knowing yourself before you dive into this work. Uh, and so if they use just code TITNF, so that's for Thursday is the new Friday over at internaltest.com. They can take that assessment and it'll give them some very practical tips on where they can spend their time uh, to boost those internal inclinations. And I did the test when I read the book. So we'll talk about that offline, but I encourage people to go do that. It gives you some really good insight about, I, I just love personality tests, you know, the Myers-Briggs, the strength finders, all that good stuff. I love it. And uh, this is another one to add to the, to the, uh, the pile. So I appreciate it, Joe. And we'll link that up in the show notes so people can have access to that. Thanks for providing that to the listeners here of the Fab Podcast. And thanks so much again. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Fabric Podcast. Our show is hosted by me, Michael Ashford, Director of Marketing here at The Receptionist and produced by our creative manager, James Jordan. If you want to see a video version of the show, jump over to thereceptionist.com slash fabric, where you can watch episodes of all of the content that we've put out on this podcast. You can see our bright smiling faces and you can see what our studio looks like as well. If you'd like to give the Receptionist for iPad Visitor Management System a try in your office, jump over to thereceptionist.com slash free trial and give us a test drive for 14 days with no credit card required. See what you think. Until next time, take care.